I'm Asan, and this is the Friday show. Uh, City didn't have a midweek game this week, but that hasn't stopped our Friday show agenda being chock full of internet hot takes. Uh, joining me to separate the wheat from the chaff, I've got firstly, Jordan. Morning, Jordan. Good morning. How's it going? Pretty good, mate. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. It's nice and cold up here in Edinburgh, but uh, dealing with it. Excellent. Excellent. Now, you're not feeling too depressed about all this terrible breaking... UEFA are investigating Manchester City news. Like it's didn't give you a sleepless night, did it? Uh, it's, it's been a tough week to be fair because Nick Harris blocked me on Twitter. So uh, oh, I've been trying, I've been trying so to deal with sorry. that. Jealous. And, I know, I know. Thank you very much. Um, I, I don't even think I did very much to, to deserve the blocking, but so be it. What Nick says goes. Um, but yeah, no, I, I do try to zone out of, of a lot of it until news in the official channels and. I know we'll respond to it a bit more now that UEFA and City have commented. Mm, we'll 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 zone in a little bit in a moment, Mister Hawking. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay. Thanks. Thanks for getting up this morning. Really appreciate it. Uh, this is the dedication I give to this podcast. <laughs> getting that's, up for nine o'clock. <laughs> that's that's very nice to hear. I feel very very flattered. Yeah, Howard. that's should, that's all I can say. Should be. Um, Look, gentlemen, we've got a lot to talk about today, so I'm going to dive straight in. Obviously, as I mentioned in the intro, um, FFP, UEFA, all that kind of stuff is rearing its ugly head again. Um, so City have made a statement regarding FFP. Uh, I don't really want to talk about the allegations in the football leaks and all that kind of stuff because it's kind of been done to death. Um, all I want to know uh, briefly from both of you, I'll start with you, Jordan, is are you satisfied with the statement that City have made? Yeah, very. I think it, I think it was done really well. Uh, I think it got to the point where City had to respond. Obviously, they hadn't commented on any allegations, and well, they made a statement saying that they wouldn't be doing um, because of the nature of the documents and how they were taken. But yeah, I thought it was well phrased. It welcomed the investigation. There was a nice bit of an air of arrogance about it. And I think it should ultimately give City fans a bit of um, comfort that the club responded like that. You know, they've not hid from it. They've waited until the official channels have opened their investigation. And they said, look, come at us. We, we've got nothing to hide. And yeah, I think City went about it in the right way, really. Okay. Howard? Uh, yeah. Not, you know, my concerns don't really rest with what the club says because I know they can't really say much and I'm fine with that. They're not, not there for shrieking journalists to you know, have some copy. You know, they have to do their own research and write their own words. Uh, yeah, there's not much. If there's an investigation, there's not much they can say anyway. So uh, my main concerns are the, the actual result of the investigation, not you know what City are saying at this moment. So, yeah, uh, no problem with me on on. Yeah, it was very concise and it got to the point and uh, I think a lot of City fans will have been happy with, you know, felt a bit better about it once they'd seen that. Uh, are, either of you, are either of you surprised, um, and I'm kind of playing devil's advocate, so don't yell at me straight away, but are either of you surprised that City haven't taken the literal opposite view? So basically sort of going, all right, fine, it's a mea culpa it was five, six, seven years ago. It was a different, you know, there's, there's so many, cause it, because we're talking about, unless I'm mistaken accounts that are very, very old. Um, 
when I say very, very old, like we're talking about 2000 and between 2009 and 2013, so at least six years old. Are either of you surprised that City didn't just take the point of view, yeah, okay, we did it, it was a different time, give us a punishment, we'll move on? Well, firstly, if they did, I would expect they'd do that behind closed doors, not in public. Okay. I don't, don't think that's a good look. But I think the key to answering that is... What's UEFA's angle for this? And City will probably know this. So, you know, they'll be in conversation with UEFA about this. Are UEFA doing it just to appease a public outcry? And it's a, you know, a box ticking exercise, in which case City aren't really going to get any, anything worse than a suspended sentence or a fine. Or are they really serious, angry at City for misleading them? In which case, you know, maybe City may have to take a different approach. But I think from you know from City side, they know they can test UEFA with this. They're, no, I, I don't. There's no reason for City to hold their hands up because what we do know, what we have read from journalists, you know, from Sandley, from, you know, Colin, Savvy Presswich Blue, who knows a lot of the financial side and Stefan, is that City don't really think they've done anything that bad apart from bending rules. And bending rules is not something that should get you thrown out of the, you know, or they think the rules change at some point. There's little, lots of little arguments about figures and where the money came from, which I don't think is breaking rules either. So if they don't feel they are guilty of it, then there's no reason why they would hold their hands up uh, unless, mm. unless it's some sort of plea deal. Because, you know, if they could just take a, oh, we'll suspend you, you're suspended for the Champions League, but we'll suspend that, so to speak, for a year, you know, as long as nothing else comes up and fine you, a paltry amount. City might just take that so we can move on. But there's no other reason for me for them to hold their hands up. They've got to play hard because they've, they've got to test prod UEFA and see how intent they are on punishing them. Mm. Jordan, um, in terms of kind of looking at the the two sides to this, the, the kind of the football leagues UEFA side and then, and then looking at the point of view that City have taken... Um, does the statement, I mean, you kind of alluded to your, to it in your earlier answer, but I just want you to expand on it a little bit if you can. Do you think that the statement um, kind of signposts how City are going to deal with this current FFP crisis, if you want to call it that? And what I mean by that simply is that they've taken a very, you know, they've taken a pretty strong stand. And the stand is we've done absolutely nothing wrong and we look forward to basically clearing our name, um, which if you look at the, I mean, obviously there's the argument about whether Rui Pinto is a whistleblower or a hacker, but if you look at the the kind of contextless documents that they've, that he's managed to put out there or that football leagues have put out there, they do seem to imply that, that you know, City played some financial games. Um, so what do you, th- do you think that the statement is simply a kind of negotiating position or do you think that City will genuinely fight this as far as they can? No, I think City will fight this as far as they can. Um, I think given it's taken so long for City to give a formal response and it's the first time they've actually commented on anything to do with the investigation other than saying that we won't be commenting, um, I think every word in that statement will have been chosen very deliberately. It won't have been something that's just not together just to appease fans and, and give a response. I think that that's quite clear that that's what City's position is going to be. As Howard said, I, I completely agree with what he said in that 
if they were to admit any wrongdoing, it wouldn't be done in public in the form of a statement. It would be done behind closed doors and maybe with a settlement in mind. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think it's, it should give City fans comfort in how strongly City have responded to this. I think it would be very strange if City have done anything significantly wrong to release a statement of that sort of str- of that strength and showing, you know, welcoming an investigation. I, th- I think the word welcoming is very is very key in this. You know, it's not something that they're just accepted and they'll co- they'll um, cooperate. City wants to, to clear their name and and put this matter to bed. So ultimately, I do think that City will fight this all the way. And I think, like Howard said, UEFA have probably done this. This is just my hunch to appease the you know the rising anger towards City. I think you know there's a new allegation every other week at the moment. So I think pressure was mounting on them to look like they're taking action. However, I think in private, City will be fairly confident that they won't have anything, any major penalties given against them. Can I just add a couple of points as well? Go you know, from your notes. Firstly, the no one has any clue of what the punishment will be. <coughs> so, I mean, it's classic media, like Champions League. It's just a headline, Champions League suspension, because they know that can be handed out. But not a single journalist who's covering this has any idea of the depth of the investigation or what UEFA have in mind. Or, you know, the charges they're looking into. Maybe UEFA don't even know what they're looking into just yet. So, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves and start planning for a year out of the Champions League. And then even if we get it, there'll be an appeal. And then I don't know how long this investigation will take, but it could be quite a while. Don't be surprised if we've already started next season's Champions League by the time. I don't know. Maybe, you know, it's quite a way away, but draws have to be done, plans have to be made. Let's mm. not assume it's next season anyway if we got the worst punishment. Uh, I hope not, because the final's in Istanbul, and I'd love to go there. So. <laughs> <laughs> not was... to get ahead of yourself. No, because we've never been to a final. I've booked the hotel already, Jordan. So. <laughs> uh, and secondly, you know, I know Sam asked, and you put it in the notes, What? sorry if I'm pinching your next question, how would I feel if City are found guilty? To be honest, none of us, I don't think, I'm not speaking for everyone, I'm not a spokesperson, but I don't think any of us really give two hoots if we, you know, the rules that's, not, that's not really what he said, though, Howard. Let me. Let no, me I'm just saying. Well, I'm just giving my opinion. You know, if we're found guilty, apart from what Sam said, no, I wouldn't really Sam care. I wouldn't really care about true, that. You care, eh? Howard. What no. Sam said was, if the accusations are true, yeah. How do you feel about that? No, well, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm I, I just not that bothered. I don't think okay. City have done. If City are found guilty, they're not done something that's ashamed me as a City fan if they've moved some money around. I mean, I know football's dirty as hell. Everyone's up to it. This is classic whataboutery. But I know, you know, I know City try and squeeze every bit of income. That's why they put £10 on season tickets. It's I know there's, you know, it's very dirty, like, you know, how clubs try and get youth players and signing them when they're 16 and Brexit might stop that for, for the English clubs. And I've never... Yeah, this is not new to us, really. We just turn a blind eye, we follow our football club. I don't think them moving money or paying some sponsorship out of private funds is really going to embarrass me or even bother me. It's really Mm. the outcome that affects us because those who like to go to European ways, those who think that it will affect the team, not being in, you know, that's the problem. There's, Yeah. Yeah, there's much worse things going on that this does not really embarrass me as a fan. But I would also say, if we've made mistakes... 
my main feeling would be annoyed because this is a huge global organisation. And if they're found guilty, I'll be annoyed that these people in high places have done this and made mistakes and shown this stupidity when they didn't need to, really. Well, uh, actually, I think they probably did need to in 2010 and 11 because yeah. I think they were up against the... Uh, um, basically, they had their back against the wall because they brought FFP in after two years of spending. So City have spent two years spending and then suddenly FFP comes in and they say, well, you can only lose this much money next year. I suspect they looked at it and went, well, that's physically impossible. We've just invested X amount over the last two years to build this football club. And it's part of a plan of sustained investment over four or five years to get the club regularly into the Champions League. So... Yeah, yeah. Jordan. It's more the, yeah. the 2015 stuff onwards that would annoy me. Not 2010, yeah, no, I don't care at all. Brian Marwood said in eight, we know FFP is coming. We're going to spend, we're accelerating our programme. We wouldn't have done it this way without FFP. Yeah, and if they absolutely. kind of went over a few figures, and you've got people like Mancini who's won the league and wants £80 million spent on players. There's lots of pressures there. And I'm not really bothered about it seven, eight years ago. It's been dealt with for me. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's more. I'd be annoyed if we were making mistakes. And yeah, you know, in two thousand and fifteen, sixteen, that area onwards. So, I agree, um, Jordan. What I wanted to ask you was: I've seen a lot of. You know, it's kind of it's a similar question, really. I've kind of seen a lot of um, moral hand wringing about this idea that, and I've seen loads of people say it, like intelligent people whose opinions I respect will say. It doesn't matter whether the rules are fair or not. The rules were put in place. City then didn't abide by them and tried to hide that and therefore should be punished for that. I want to ask you about the first part of that statement. And that is that, you know, um, this idea that it doesn't matter whether the rules themselves are fair or not because in particular we're not talking about a sporting rule so we're not talking about VAR or the referees being given a new directive it's an off the pitch commercial rule that's been put into place and maybe it exists elsewhere but I don't you know for through my years of watching sport I don't really remember I've never really come across rules like that. I'm sure they are in other sports, but I've never really come across them. From your point of view, how do you stand on the kind of morality of the rule being brought in specifically as a reaction to owners like our owners and then the club then flouting that rule? Where do you stand on the morality of all this? Well, yeah, I I think it was pretty clear from the start that FFP was brought in to protect the already established elite clubs, you know, your Man United, your Bayern Munichs, um, against the threat of new rich clubs who were coming in and seeking to topple them. Uh, Martin Samuel was really good on it from the start and continues to be on um, on the sort of cynical nature of those rules. It's, it's a wider question. I think that will be um, one of City's main defences if if it goes to, you know, City getting major penalties as a result of breaking these um, laws, if you want to call them that. Um, in terms of the morality of it, you know, I, I think it's it's a, it's a tough one because City fans will, will view it as we were doing nothing wrong in theory. It was the rules in the first place that were doing something wrong. However, you know, you, you've, the rules are in. City have chosen not to 
not to go down the route of getting them you know, ruled illegal or against EU competition law. It's not something I'm particularly well-versed in, so I'll stay away from that. Um, but as a result, City, City have signed a settlement, I think, and, you know, abided by them or tried to abide by them. And at least in public, they've, you know, Caldoun's always been talking about trying to stay within financial fair play. Uh, so if it comes out that, that City have broken those rules, then I don't think they will really have a leg to stand on in terms of... Um, the view of the public. Mm. But I, again, I think that will be one of City's main defences if it gets to the point where they feel that they're being really hard done by. That's when they seriously try and topple FFP. And I think secretly UEFA will be pretty scared of that. And I think that's been shown with the general tone between UEFA and City um, in the past few years, really. Yeah, I agree. I think the other thing with FFP is that, you know, FFP has been a success from UEFA's point of view in terms of um, the year before it was brought in, the amount of debt that European football clubs carried and what they carry now, um, it's it's been reduced hugely, exponentially it's been reduced, the amount of debt that football clubs carry. And it's something that UEFA trumpeted quite recently as proof positive of, of how successful FFP has, uh, has been. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that I'm I'm a little bit like you two. I'm not the the morality of it all. Like you know, City of how bad is what City have done? I said this in a previous podcast. I mean, I grew up remembering uh, the documentary about Ferguson telling young players at United that they had to take his son as an agent or they'd be sold. Allegedly, yeah. Um, I remember all of the... There's been plenty of scandals involving young players moving between big clubs. I guess I just... I feel like football's always been dirty and the biggest clubs, the financially richest clubs, the most powerful clubs have always run a little bit roughshod over everybody else. It's just, you know, natural selection is 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 one way of, of characterising that thing and just um, generally a son um on morality in football i don't think it exists amongst football fans you know it doesn't matter who's scoring the goals fans will will celebrate a goal for their totally. team you know you look at luis suarez um who's the first one that springs to mind when he was uh got an eight match ban i think it was for racially abusing patrice evra he's bitten people repeatedly on the pitch but you know if he scores 30 goals a season then football fans don't care and also it just Relating it back to City, we've had the alleged human rights offences against Sheikh Mansour. Now is not the time that City fans are going to sort of sit up and say, oh, well, if City have broken financial fair play, then that's really going to question my support for them. You know, it doesn't make a difference to City fans. And I don't think it would to, to any fan base in general. If their team's doing well on the pitch, then, then I'd, and, you know, if they've done anything wrong... It, if it affects them on the pitch, then maybe they sit up and take notice. But generally, I don't think they care. Well, we're just for you. We're just for years in a way. You know what? What effect do we have? I mean, you imagine thinking that you turn to football for moral guidance. Exactly. We don't, we don't, we don't support teams for for anything other than yeah. the, the satisfaction of seeing them win. Even Troy Deeney last week said, "We're not role models." Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah that was great. That's to a be different fair. thing. I mean, yeah, I mean, but I grew. I fell in love with football in the eighties. It was a dire time for footballers. Hooliganism, violence, you know, Margaret Thatcher thought we were all scum. Tragedies galore. And 
you know, <laughs> football is in a terrible state. And if I can fall in love with it then, then I'm not going to be too bothered now because City had a third-party ownership that moved some money in to buy a young player in Argentina. I mean, none of us give a damn about that. <laughs> and I don't, you know, no journalist is going to tell me how to feel about matters like that. that well, that's why my only fe- on the line. That's why my and only feeling is annoyance, you know, that the city didn't do this a bit more efficiently, to be honest, and abide by the rules, because at the end of the day, they do have to abide by the rules. And, you know, why FFP was brought in is a completely different issue for me. Once the rules are there, especially in the last few years, when we're, our income is you know through the roof and we're winning stuff, there's no reason to break these rules. Actually, I'll say one thing, and I think this is going to be the last word on FFP. Um, UEFA quietly changed the rules uh, two years ago or three years ago and uh, increased the amount of losses that clubs could incur and also the amount of time that they could invest over um, to rebuild a fallen giant basically and these rules were brought in specifically to help the Italian clubs like Inter Milan and AC Milan because they at the time were about to be bought by Chinese investors basically who wanted to invest in the clubs and I think that stuff like this is why City will privately say you can stick your rules up your ass because what metric system are UEFA going to use when they decide how much money City lost and how much they were allowed to to lose. Are they going to use the system that they first invented to stop City in 2008? Or will they use the new system that they invented in 2014 or 15 or whenever it was to allow the Inter Milans and the AC Milans of this world to get new, new, new investors to be able to compete with the English clubs? I mean, this, it's so murky and it's yeah. so hypocritical on every level that from my point of view, anyway, I can completely see why City would put out the statement that they put out and why they'd privately go, we're not having this and we'll fight you all the way. And the early FFP, so I'll be very brief now, did, show, you know, it had very clearly it showed that you're fine if you showed movement towards reducing losses, which is everything that City did. So the losses went down year and year and year. Uh, so, you know, if you're moving in the right way, I don't see the problem. Exactly. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, it's a point I was going to make earlier, Howard, and I I forgot to, so thank you for making it. Yeah, fundamentally, FFP was about clubs being run financially soundly. Manchester City is an incredibly soundly financially run club. It's that simple. So, yeah. Anyway, let's move on, shall we? End of the Um, pod. I thought we were only going to do, I thought we were only going to do 10 minutes on, on UA for an FFP. 22 minutes later, here we are, gentlemen. Okay. Uh, City played Bournemouth last weekend and I wanted to have a long look back. Um, Jordan, I'm going to start with you. Uh, Words like nervy, edgy and tense were used to describe the game and yet the numbers suggested almost total domination. Um, Kind of four or five days distance. How do you view that performance now, particularly bearing in mind um, what happened in the Merseyside derby the next day? Um. I, th- I think it was a, a very good performance, but obviously the main thing is the three points. And I think that's been the, the tone throughout the week, obviously with the West Ham result as well. It's just been about getting through. I don't really agree with Pep in that it was one of City's best ever performances under him. But then again, he would say that if City lost 2-0 to Burnley. Uh, I don't really take what he says in post-match that seriously. However, you look at the stats... Bournemouth had no shots, no shots on target, obviously, no corners, 18% possession. 
And I don't think that is solely because Eddie Howe chose to be more conservative with his approach. I just think City suffocated Bournemouth and didn't let them get near the final third. I think it was 13 passes into the final third. Um, was it the whole game or in the second half? Um, whole game. You know, that, yeah, that, that doesn't happen by accident. That, that's not something that just happens because one side uh, choose to be more conservative. So from that point of view, it, it was excellent. However, City, you know, really should have had more. I, I think it's quite common with the City team to not take all their chances. When it when they do, it's pretty frightening, as we saw with the Chelsea 6-0 result, because that's what happens when this team do take their chances. Um, but yeah, the, the main thing was the result and obviously put the pressure on Liverpool and took City top of the league. So no complaints from that point of view. Excellent. Um, Howard, kind of the same question for you. Do you, do you kind of look back on that... Does it does, does it feel did it feel like an important and pivotal weekend in the title race? Uh, oh, there's been so many twists and turns. I felt the week was. I also I said as soon yeah. as the as soon as the cup final finished. Well, not as I was leaving the stadium, but as soon. But yeah, once that cup final was over, I was like, we just have to win the next two games. It does not matter how. Uh, so for that reason, yes. And basically, yeah, everything Jordan said, basically, because it's the way we suffocated both teams. And they had one shot across the two games that really stood out for me. And it wasn't... I didn't feel that nervy Bournemouth, really. I mean, you're on edge until you score. Once you scored, you know, you're still on edge because until you... you know, anyone can score a goal. United showed down uh, this week at any point. You know, so as a football fan, you want a two-goal lead. You always want a two-goal lead. But even considering that, it didn't really feel that nervy. And City shut down both games once they had the lead, I felt. Uh, so, yeah, it's. I wouldn't say it's pivotal because there's just there's too many you know, twists and turns to come. We now have to do the same against Watford and then the next game, the next game, and April's going to be... More pivotal, probably, because it's so brutal in you know, mm. how many games we may have. So, I don't think you can have a one pivotal weekend until we get right. Yeah, you know, unless someone makes one big gain ahead of the other team, or the pivotal weekend will probably come nearer to the end of the season. Well, I, yes. I, I think as well, like Liverpool, Liverpool dropping points made that weekend pivotal. You you expect City to, no offense to West Ham and Bournemouth, but to come away from both those games with three points. But the fact that Liverpool drop points makes it obviously very significant because we don't know when these teams will drop points next. It, it's been such a rarity. And um, the fact that, that City have gone ahead of Liverpool, I wouldn't say it's pivotal because I don't think it'll, I don't think it makes that much difference at this stage, but it is a, um, a key moment in the sense that the tide has shifted now. City are now ahead and Liverpool are chasing. But they weren't two easy games for Liverpool. So, you know, I don't think them drawing. I think people are downbeat. You know, Liverpool supporters are downbeat. Obviously, they're panicking because the lead's gone. I'm not sure it's the results that's made them this downbeat. It's the performances themselves. You know, two nil nils. Their lack mm. of they've suddenly lost that spark in front of goal. But drawing away to United and Everton are not disastrous results in themselves. And I'm trying not to look ahead at the fixture list. I just. I don't want to look ahead and start doing arithmetic and working it out and getting stressed. But we must assume that they now have much easier games. Obviously, this weekend's is certainly a lot easier. 
So it's not disastrous in that sense. That's why I don't think it's quite pivotal. Because okay. if they don't, if the players keep the confidence, then, you know, they can still now go on a run and win five games on their own, in which case those two results are not that damaging. See, I completely disagree with both of you because I think come the end of the season, the difference is going to be minimal. We're talking about two, three, maximum four points. Um, And I think because of that, we had to make sure that on the weekends and the moments where Liverpool have their difficult games, the games where potentially they could drop points, we had to win our games to apply that pressure and also to take advantage of the fact that they could potentially drop points. Liverpool didn't do that. I believe that when we lost to Newcastle, they went and drew with Leicester the next day. Is is that right? Yeah, that's Um, right. And I think that that kind of... No, that them not doing that, whereas us winning those league games where they drew their league games, um, and us ending up in the driver's seat with nine nine games to go. I mean, just being really honest, like you're right, they they potentially can win the next five on the bounce, but so can we. But that's exactly why last weekend was so pivotal because you know ultimately. If you look at it from a pure practical point of view, we're top of the league now. And, and if we win all our games, we we are the champions. Um, from a psychological point of view, for all of the positivity that Liverpool had managed to generate and the momentum around their season that they'd managed to generate and all of the statistics about how they've never had this many points in the season before and all that kind of stuff... And then you go to bed on Sunday night, you're not top of the league anymore. I think psychologically that's, uh, you, well, I, I, the reaction that I've seen and I've heard, it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit difficult for them to take. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely feel as it was, a, it was a hugely pivotal moment in the title race. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm loath to go this far back, but um, was it United losing to Everton in 11-12? True four all, didn't they? True four. That's it. The, the, the two the goals four, there twice, I think. That's it. That it to me that Merseyside derby when that final whistle went, I felt like I did on that Ooh. day. Really, I did. Oh, I felt God. like I did on that day. I felt like wow, that door's just been open wide. And let's be real about it. Yeah, if anybody had said to any of us in at the very start of January, yeah that by this point in the season, it'll be back in our hands. We'll have a one-point lead and with nine games to go, we win our nine games, we win the league. I think we'd have all taken that and we'd oh, have yeah. all gone, we'll win the league from there. So I feel uh, maybe I'm being a bit too bullish, but I feel really good. And I do think that last weekend was massively uh, pivotal. Of course, um, in so- 11-12, we, did, we played immediately after them. So Very true. <laughs> and we uh, relegated Wolves, I think. It was 2-0 at Wolves, so... We, yes. see, we seize the opportunity immediately. Uh, one quick point about the, I think what is damaging to Liverpool as well is in both games they had opportunities to win because United had three players off injured. I think. I mean, obviously on the way to Wembley, didn't see a minute of the game, but they had three players off injured by half time. Uh, so it was kind of a missed opportunity for Liverpool there to go and seize the initiative in that game. And of course, against Everton in that first half, they had the initiative and they didn't seize it again. So whilst the results themselves might not be seen as disastrous, they had 
there was pockets in those games where they could have. Absolutely. And that's why I think Klopp got so angry when someone asked him that question after the Merseyside derby. Why, you know, why did he bring on the likes of Milner and not Shakiri and go for it? And he's rattled, so it depends if he transmits that to the players. Yeah, I just don't think they've shown... Uh, I, I don't think that they've, in those games that they've drawn, I don't think they've... He's not shown a willingness to go out and win that game of football in the way that you just know that Guardiola would. We're in a title race. You can feel like, you know, you, you kind of feel like it's throw the kitchen sink in every single game that we play right now. Um, and I really didn't get that impression uh, at Old Trafford in the, the United-Liverpool game. And I didn't get that impression last weekend either. You kind of feel like Klopp is trying to manage games a little bit too much. And I've heard a few Liverpool fans say, you know, they should have opened it up and made, a, made it a basketball game against Everton last weekend because they probably would have won that. And, and I would tend to go along with that. And I think that that, more than anything, points to the pressure that Klopp's feeling right now. Yeah. Um, Okay, Jordan. Just the last last thing on 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 the Liverpool uh, and the title race before we talk about the Champions League. As someone who kind of works in the media, um, how do you think that the Liverpool talking heads and the media in general has everybody dealt with them losing the top spot? Do you think it will benefit them in the way that people have implied? I've seen a few people say that it'll be better for them to chase than to lead. No, I think that's rubbish. I think that's utter rubbish. Um... And I, I'm generally reluctant to read too much into what he said in post-match press conferences and, you know, in the days following a game. But I think it's been pretty telling how Liverpool have responded. I actually think Klopp, apart from that answer in the press conference about PlayStation, it's not like PlayStation, has been quite level-headed. Um, I don't think he said anything too outrageous. You know, he, he can get wound up, but I, I listened to his post-match interview in Five Live. It, it was very well-mannered. He saw the Everton result as, as an okay point. But managers generally, as we've seen with Guardiola, can get quite riled up. They're less media trained and they, they will give their honest opinions more, particularly after a match. What we've seen after the Goodison Park result is that the players have been angry. They, they've, they've shown sort of a weakness in that they've not given the media trade answers, which they are expected to give. Mm-hmm. Van Dijk saying um, this place was celebrating like they'd won the league, at, at like a nil-nil result. And I thought the most telling was Andy Robertson's interview, who I thought was almost frothing at the mouth when saying that all oh, the pressure's on City now, almost as if he's been waiting for Liverpool to drop into second. <laughs> he, he said he said all the pressure's on them now as if it's all magically evaporated from Liverpool and no one cares about them anymore because City are one point ahead I think that showed a bit, quite a bit of weakness to be fair and as I say I don't want to read too much into it um, but I don't think Andy Robertson stopped talking about City this week I saw some more quotes last night and um, talking about the pressure on City and how good a side they are and sit, Liverpool are doing well just to keep up with them closing the gap I think there is a bit of a mentality issue there, and I, I think you know when you when you lose such a lead, if again casting our minds back to that that Newcastle result and Liverpool having the chance to go ten points clear, that has got to be a massive psychological blow. And when you're not getting over the line against teams like Everton, and no disrespect to them, but Liverpool should be winning that game. You look at Definitely. the two starting lineups. Forgetting, I know derby matches add a bit more intensity to it and Everton can raise their game. I don't think they did raise their game massively. I just think Liverpool weren't very good. 
and I think it, I think it is getting to them. Um, to be honest, so it'll be interesting to see how they respond. They've got a favourable run of fixtures now. I don't think there's a better fixture than Burnley at home to bounce back from. But it's been telling how they've responded. It has. I think that um, when you end up in the position that they're in and you begin to feel that pressure, I think that every game becomes a banana skin. I also think that at this point in the season, it's harder to play teams than it is in the first 15 games of the season, particularly those teams lower down in the league. Um, I think you do come up against a bit more resistance at this point in the season. I think, you know, October, November teams like Burnley can be rolled over threes and fours and they're all right about it because there's so much football left to be played over the course of the season. I think you get to now and everybody just, there's a little bit more resistance in every game. I think we saw a little bit of that against Bournemouth last weekend. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how how Burnley actually actually perform. Can, can you um, imagine, sorry, Asad, can you imagine a City player responding after a game like Robertson did and Van Dijk did? Because I can't. Look, I think I think there's a a, a problem with uh, I think that Liverpool cannot cope with having to fight with City for a title, and I think that what because what's happening is that you they constantly go from one extreme to the other. So you get the eight days ago Sterling made a comment about. Do you remember the comment that Sterling made about how he felt more pressure at Liverpool? Yeah, yeah. To win the title, right? So in the immediate aftermath of him making that comment, literally to a man, the Liverpool press pack, every podcast, everybody immediately went, City put him up to say that. City put him up to say that. I, I can't remember who the um, uh, ex-Liverpool player was, but some ex-Liverpool player was like, right, we need to get some, we need to get some of our players in the press putting pressure on them now. And then, as you say, this week, Andy Robertson is just going on and on and on and on and on about City. And it's like, lads, like, calm down. There's nine games left to play and you are showing your own panic in the way that you're reacting to this stuff. And I think the other sign of panic is how we keep going from Van Dijk is the best defender in the world, Salah's the best forward in the world, Klopp's the best manager in the world, to look at how well plucky little Liverpool are doing against Moneybags Manchester City. I mean, we're there. We are there. This week I've seen editorials from people talking about how, you know, people shouldn't expect Liverpool to win the title and, you know, the progress that they've made is already huge and it's quite a feat that they've managed to get this far in the title race and still be in the title race. And I'm just like, well, if you give that kind of loserish, we're second best, we're plucky underdogs mentality, you ain't going to win it this year either. I think at some point they have to decide what they want to be as a club and how they want to talk about themselves because they do swing from this one extreme to the other. And I think that does begin to get into the players' heads and it's certainly, I feel like it's getting into Klopp's head. Um, hey, can we talk about the Champions League in midweek now? Of course. You're Excellent. the boss. <laughs> you let us know. <laughs> okay, it's time. Uh, Howard, PSG against Man United, tactical masterclass or what? <laughs> From one plucky underdog in Liverpool to another in United. Exactly, to Man United. I mean, okay, so this, is the world we, <laughs> this is the world we live in. Man United and Liverpool are the plucky underdogs of the footballing world. Wow. Oh, team made Sorry, up Andy. of milkmen, postmen, <laughs> <laughs> P- 
part-time chemists all just <laughs> most of them had to work the previous night just to pay for the airfare to get over there <laughs> just so they could play in Paris what a performance uh, just that, <laughs> oh just the pluck and nerve of the 75 million pound forward 50 million pound midfielder and as we're often told the greatest goalkeeper in the world pulling out a result like that uh, just blew me away probably the greatest result ever so <laughs> But I think it's a bit of everything, in, you know, in all seriousness. I think, obviously, PSG, yet again, were the architects of their own downfall because what did United score from? A, re- a stupid back pass, a spilt shot from Buffon, one of the greatest goalkeepers, and that penalty, which we'll no doubt discuss in a bit. Uh, they were also efficient themselves. Let's not, you know, let's, let's not kid ourselves. They had weak areas in that team. Uh, they defended manfully, but yeah, you know, at the end of the day, they needed a decision that I just find staggering, and and PSG shouldn't have put themselves in that position to allow you know with uh, the the clock running down. I mean, I think it says just as much about PSG this as it does about United because they were just so impotent in front of goal, and Mbappe had an, a bit of a nightmare. So. Mm. Yeah, he was tap less yeah. I don't think Solskjaer could have done much more, so he's done a great job there and he will obviously now get the permanent gig at United. And they were resolute and they defended well and they kept you know, they were well structured and disciplined, but let's not yeah. You know, they wouldn't have had a, probably a chance on goal if it was not for PSG literally giving them you know uh, or I mean obviously Rashford had that shot that was spilled. But they barely had a sniff at goal, except when PSG was so compliant and so passive. Which sounds, yeah, true. It sounds bitter, but it was a, a number of different factors all coming into play. Uh, I think you do. I, have to I will say, United there. fans, you know, they won't care one jot whether they fluked it, whether they're brilliant, because they did it, and that's all that matters. They're coming away on top of the world, and I fully agree with that. You know, we can look at it from a distance. Uh, you're a United fan, who cares how they played? They pulled off a result no one thought they would get. Uh, but, you know, I don't think the performance really was that outstanding that they actually deserved a 3-1 victory. Yeah, Jordan? yeah. no, I, I do think you have to give them quite a bit of credit. I think from a City point of view, if City were going to, to Paris with a two-goal deficit, I don't think many fans yeah. would be confident of overturning it. And for United to go there with the injuries that they had, you know, you look at that starting eleven. I think only De Gea and Rashford even have a shot at getting anywhere near City's team. Um, so for them to go with the, the standard of player and, you know, manage to get through in those circumstances, it is a bit of a minor miracle. But like you said, Howard, it, it wasn't a tactical masterclass. Solskjaer got his tactics right but if PSG play to to even half of what they're they're capable of, then they go through. Uh, the the error after two minutes really set the tone. You know, it's just not what you want in a European game um, to give United a bit of bit of encouragement. And you know, Buffon, one of the most experienced goalkeepers of all time, probably a bit too experienced nowadays, um, gives them another goal and. The penalty, which personally I don't think was a penalty. You know, they they, they didn't threaten in the second half, so I don't think it was. The restoration of the old Manchester United DNA or anything has come out DNA. in the media. Yeah, I don't think it was anything close to that, but we should credit it as a fantastic result for them because they had no right to go there and 
and get through with the players that they had. Jordan, have you been impressed by Solskjaer? Where, where do you kind of where do you kind of stand on what he's done? I'm kind of funnily enough, uh, Mancini when he came to England, or actually when he was in Italy, uh, there was a phrase that they used about him, which I don't remember what the Italian was, but it translated to something like "kissed by good fortune," and it's kind of something that they use in Italy, basically to describe people who kind of always end up on the winning side or always get what they want, right? Um, where is Solskjaer? Is he a lucky guy or is he doing things as a manager and a coach that he's not getting credit for? A bit of both. I think he's come into a, a, a job where it was going to be hard to do as badly as the last bloke because Mourinho did a fantastic job of convincing us all that United had really poor players and they weren't up to it. But in reality, they've actually got some fantastic players. They've got some really, really good players there and they just weren't happy playing under the previous manager um, because of his, you know, his, his manner and also because of his tactics. But saying that, he's done a, he's done a fantastic job. You, you know, the results don't lie. He's ridden his luck in those Tottenham and Paris Saint-Germain games, but there's a noticeable change in how United are playing. And, you know, if I'm a United fan watching it, the difference is immeasurable. You know, it's a different team. You sat there thinking, why couldn't Mourinho have done this? It's not rocket science. Solskjaer isn't a master technician um, and or tactician in terms of, you know, getting teams to play in his image. He's just given the players a bit more freedom Obviously, it's not as simple as that, and I don't want to to diminish his his influence as that. But you know, it, it it's not rocket science that he's given them a bit more attacking freedom, and you know, it's it's doing very well at the moment. So ultimately, I think he deserves the job on a full time basis. With that said, from a rival point of view, I, I'm I'm very happy that if they will give it to him rather than someone like Pochettino, because I think long term the results will fizzle. I think he's enjoying a bit of a new manager bounce and um, in terms of getting United to play a certain way and the long-term future of the club, um, I don't think he is anything for rivals to seriously worry about unless, you know, he, he develops further as a coach, which he will, but not on the level of someone like Pochettino. I think that's a bit harsh, you know. I, I only but, say that because I think that... Um, I think if you look at what he's done with the players that he's got, and I think that my point is going to be predicated on the idea that they actually spend money this summer. But if they go out and buy three or four, you know, like let's say that they have a summer like City had two years ago, right? Um, Where they bring in three top defenders and one top attacker. Um, I think with the rhythm that he's already built up, I think there'll be a threat next season. I think it'd be, you know, I, th- I I do feel Jordan that most of the people that I speak to have got more or less the same view as you, which is a pretty diplomatic view in a in a way because it's like everybody's kind of saying, well, he's obviously done a, a great job so far. There's a little bit of a new manager bounce involved. Personally, I'm not that worried about Solskjaer. I'd be more worried about Pochettino. I just feel that. If you look at what they did under Mourinho last season in terms of the number of points they accumulated, you look at the way that they're currently playing under Solskjaer, how motivated they seem to be and how he seems to be getting the best out of 
their best players. I just feel that with a summer of investment and not, you know, I'm not, I basically, I don't think that it's going to take two or three transfer windows for them to become a title threat. I think they buy three of the right players this summer and they will be a title threat, whoever you put in the driver's seat. And I think that with Solskjaer, I see a guy who maybe isn't the master tactician that we see Guardiola as, or maybe even Pochettino, but what he doesn't have on that side, maybe he makes up in a different way. Ultimately, those players are outperforming. You know, I saw the XG stat going round. Those players are outperforming XG. Some people say you can't outperform it forever and eventually it will revert to the mean. Maybe it will, or maybe they'll buy better players and next season they'll be winning games and the XG will also reflect they should be winning games. So I don't know. I guess in a roundabout way, I'm trying to say that I view Solskjaer and United as a massive threat next season. I think they should always be though. I think with the players that they've got, yes, they are lacking in certain areas, but you look at that team on paper, it, it's as good as, as most in the Premier League. I think that team should always be challenging for the title. Um, you look at their goalkeeper, they've got the best shot stopper in the world. This is a guy that literally saved them 15 expected goals last year. 15. You know, that that is obscene. He's an unbelievable goalkeeper. They've got Paul Pogba, who, as much as people won't want to admit it, is, is up there with the very best midfielders in the world, particularly since Solskjaer's come in. Um, there, there is more than enough there for them to challenge. And as you say, I, I do agree with, with a few additions. They will be right up there. However, like probably being a little bit harsh on Solskjaer, but this is, this is my view. I don't think it is rocket science to get that team playing to a level where they are in the top four and comfortably in the top four. I think it could be done with a number of managers. I don't think, I, th- I think he's done a good job given the expectations when he came in, you know, he's been other managers being linked with the job were like Steve Bruce and Paul Ince and Solskjaer was certainly far and away the best pick of those. However, if it comes to the summer and they were choosing a new manager, I think the names linked, such as Pochettino, would definitely be able to get that Manchester United side challenging, even without the additions. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I think that's a fair shout as well. Um, Howard, do you want to do you want to chime in on on any more on United, or can I ask you uh, about how you view in general the English sides in the Champions League moving forward? So. Let's say that City and Liverpool do go through next week. Who would you most like to face? Who would you least like to face? <laughs> Is it an advantage or a disadvantage to play a domestic rival in the Champions League knockouts? Ooh, depends what the alternative is. Uh, or my order's going to differ from yours because I think we briefly discussed this earlier. It's Spurs preferred, then United, then Liverpool. Okay. Because... I mean, none of them are... I wouldn't go into them just expecting to go through. Uh, there's the emotion ramped up with United and you know, with Liverpool as well for because of the last year. But I do think we suit playing against Spurs better and, you know, just look at our record against them. Uh, they're the team I'd want to play, definitely. And Liverpool are just... <sighs> yeah, I think if, if one manager can negate... Guardiola is still Jurgen Klopp. So, you know, for that reason, then United, yeah. We should still beat them over two legs, but, you know, it's United, it's two derby matches, so who knows? Mm. And they are playing, you know, they seem to be on a wave, as you, you know, he's riding a wave still, Solskjaer. 
So the players believe a lot more now. If it was Mourinho, yeah, that'd be so so much the number one above Spurs. That, you know, they'd be they'd be <laughs> United, then Spurs just a million miles lower. But you know, things have changed so much now. So. Okay, um, Howard, I'm I'm going to ask you. I'm going to stick with you for this one as well before I jump over to Jordan. Um, is this quietly? Are we seeing a rebirth of of English teams in Europe after a few fallow years? Um, and what I mean by that is it kind of, kind of does feel a little bit like a throwback to the early 2000s when, you know, you'd see Chelsea, United, Arsenal and Liverpool regularly in the last day of the Champions League. Like, is this is this year's kind of where we're at in the Champions League a reflection of the level of players and coaches that we have in England or is it just a fluke? Yeah, well, but, uh, no, probably the former, but you, you don't really make snapshots from one season. People have done this a lot in the past. Oh, you know, this league this is on, you know, the greatest now and, there's a resurgence. This league's fading because they've not got any teams in the last day. I think that there's a chance, isn't there, that might be no German or Italian teams in the last day of the... Yeah, we'll have to wait for next week's results. Uh, and people will make huge conclusions about that. But I think it has to be repeated over another year and then another year for us to make conclusions. But I think this this is kind of reverted to the mean. These... Yeah, I had, you've, we said... In the past, Ajax have got like the budget of West Brom or something. The, the English team should be getting through to the quarterfinals. We have great resources, and I do think we have the strongest squads that we've ever had in the Premier League. You know, if you look at the top six right now, there's, mm. there's, there's managers, you know, there's managers, there's teams going through bad form, and there's managers under pressure, and blah, blah, blah. But when you just look at the players, they are, as you know, I think, as good as they've ever been. Uh, and you double that up with the factor in there are big teams having problems at this moment in other countries like Bayern Munich are going through difficult times Real Madrid of course are in crisis but you know they might be totally resolved by next season so it's a snapshot in time but I think English teams are just doing what they should do in a way that we should be getting three teams through to the last eight because we have the resources and the players to do that okay Excellent. But I do um, think it will continue. Yeah, I think we can expect to see minimum of two teams going through to quarterfinals every season from now on. I think it's important that Pochettino stays at Spurs. I think that if he leaves Spurs, then I, I can see them dropping out the top four. Um, Jordan, just to go back to you, same kind of same question, really. How do you view the English sides in terms of who would you least like to play? Who would you most like to play? And is it an advantage or a disadvantage for you in terms of playing an English side? Similar to Howard, I think I think Spurs have to be the the first choice. You don't want to play Liverpool um, because reg- whether you like them or not, Anfield is just a horrible, horrible place to go. As City fans have experienced over the past thirty odd years, um, United, I think City City would dispatch. But again, you don't want to play them if it can be helped. Um, but yeah, I, I think it is a reflection on on the standard of coaches that we have in this league now, and. It is a mixture of the typical European greats being bad at the moment um, and the Premier League being home to what I think are the two best teams in terms of their style of playing football in the world at the moment and its effectiveness in City and Liverpool. But if you look at the teams, the managers of the teams who are are referred to as the greats, Madrid, Santiago Solari, um, Barcelona, Ernesto Valverde, Bayern Munich, Nico Kovac... You know, 
these are managers that if they were appointed by the Premier League sixth place club, Arsenal, <laughs> would be a major, major letdown. You know, fans wouldn't be happy. That's the sort of standard that they have out there at the moment. Whereas in the Premier League, we have arguably, well, I think is the best manager in the world in Guardiola. Jurgen Klopp, who's obviously a fantastic manager. Um, Maurizio Sarri, who's one of the most sought after coaches in Europe, and he, he's fifth in the league. P- Pochettino, who's an unbelievable manager. And I think that's, that's why we're seeing this rise in in English football in Europe. But, you know, then again, had Real Madrid and Barcelona have those those quality of managers, I think it would be a very different story. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I do think that... Um, I do think that those kind of giants generally uh, go through periods of boom and bust in terms of, you know, I don't necessarily think the Barcelona squad is 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 poor or the Real Madrid squad is poor. They've got loads of world-class players. Those squads always have world-class players. Um, I think, yeah, it is a, maybe a reflection of the quality of the coaches that, that they've got right now. Um, and yeah, I think from, from, from an English side's perspective, it's, it's the same thing. I think it's really important that you keep coaches of that level in the league. And I think that that's how we continue uh, as, a, as a nation to do well uh, in the Champions League. Um, okay, so a couple of games to preview very briefly. I put Liverpool Burnley in the uh, in the agenda. We could have done United Arsenal, but I just feel with nine games to go, for me, everything every weekend feels like it's about the title race. So I want to talk a little bit more about Liverpool and Burnley. Um, Howard, obviously we play first on Saturday and they play on Sunday morning. Let's say that we win our game. Um, do you, does this add extra pressure to them, the fact that suddenly they find themselves four points behind? And also, to midday on a Sunday kickoff, they seem to not like those. Uh, I believe there's a stat doing the rounds that they don't seem, they haven't done well at all under Klopp with early kickoffs. Um, how are you feeling about Liverpool-Burnley from a Liverpool perspective and also from a Burnley perspective? Yeah, it's a stupid time to play, to be honest. Uh, no, I don't think it puts pressure on them. I guess their players would expect City to win. And they'll keep that in mind. If they're going to overtake us, they'll be probably looking at other games if you know if they're thinking about it a lot. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think it matters. They'll be focused on their own game. I think it's... Now, I know Burnley beat Spurs recently at home. At home, they're a different team. And they did take points off uh, Solskjaer, of course, at Old Trafford. But I honestly can't see this being anything other than a very comfortable uh, result for Liverpool. I think it's a well-placed game for them. Because uh, I don't see Burnley getting much of the, the the ball, to be honest. And I don't I don't think they've got that defensive steal that they've had in previous seasons. Uh, to me, it's just a case of we have to do our job because I fully expect they'll win that comfortably. Are you going to predict that Liverpool are going to win every game comfortably between now and the end of the season? No. Because I do feel I think... like every weekend, every <laughs> week we do a we do a Friday show preview and every week we predict whoever Liverpool are playing that they'll win comfortably. Because we said that about the Old Trafford game and then we said it again about the uh, uh, about the derby. Um, Jordan, maybe I'm going to throw it over to you. Looking at it, not that you're an outsider, but let's pretend you're a bit of an objective outsider. <laughs> um, is that Liverpool-Burnley game 
a game that you kind of look at and go, yeah, easy three points? Or do you feel there's the potential for something weird to happen? I mean, there's always the potential for something weird to happen. And I know, Howard, you said that um, Liverpool players will be expecting City to win win the game against Watford. But it, once those three points are on the board and Liverpool are four points behind, if they're already feeling the pressure, that will be ramped up regardless of who City get the three points against. <laughs> However, <clears throat> Burnley, despite having a bit of a upturn in results recently, they, they went four games unbeaten, I think. They've lost the last two games to, to Newcastle and Crystal Palace, which you know isn't exactly um, encouraging in turn, when you go into... Anfield I, I, I can't see them getting a result there um, happy to be proven wrong but I think that should be a really nice fixture for Liverpool to come back after the Merseyside derby and and get back on track I, I'd be very surprised if they slipped up there and I okay. will be making Salah my fancy football captain <laughs> so you don't you okay interesting I'm I, I'm still maybe it's wishful thinking on my part but I'm I do feel like Burnley midday kickoff, they stick eight, nine behind the ball, right? If they're committed, if they're organized, things that you kind of associate with Burnley, I think Liverpool have shown uh, in, certainly in their away games in the last few weeks, that if they don't get that breakthrough, they don't get better, or certainly that they, they haven't seemed to... Against United and against Everton, it felt like the longer the game went on, the more likely the opposition were to win it rather than Liverpool winning it. Um, and so for that reason, even though they're at Anfield, not that I'm saying that Burnley will win it, but I think that Burnley will... The longer the game goes on at nil-nil, I kind of feel like the more comfortable will Burnley, Burnley will get defending. Now, granted, I'm not taking into account the fact that Liverpool put five past Watford in midweek last week. But I think that that's part of the issue that they have is that they are a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde team and they do need, you know, the opening goal is absolutely crucial. I mean, of course, if Liverpool take an early, early lead, it could end up being five and six again with Burnley. But I think the flip side of that is that if they don't get that opening goal, then I don't know if they have to do something special to to open the game up. Hasn't looked really in recent weeks like they've they've got that about them. It felt like Watford made made it relatively straightforward to uh, for them to be carved open and and to score goals. Uh, Everton didn't make it straightforward, and and Liverpool had no answer. And United didn't make it straightforward, and and Liverpool seemingly had no answer. Um, so yeah, that's I, I actually think that I actually think there's a lot of pressure on Liverpool to win this weekend, not just get the three points, but convincingly, because you know the the, the pressure is ramp, ramping up. But if you look at how they've played this whole season, their front three last season were electric, and uh, often they were all on form together. This season, only one out of the three have ever been on form. At the moment, yeah. it's Mane in a rich in a rich run of form. Salah couldn't hit a barn door. Firmino. I'm a massive fan of his, but just doesn't look anywhere near as potent as he was last season. Doesn't look fit. It, it, it's strange. And he is so crucial to the way that they play. So totally. crucial. Um, so I, I think they, they really need a game where they all click. Because if they get that, that, that's the sort of thing that can really spur them on and give them a bit of momentum and optimism going into the next few games. If they just scrape through against Burnley, I, I think you know you expect them to get the three points, but I don't think... It will really inspire the fans. 
and there's seven goal gap in our goal differences as well. Course, yeah. So. Yeah, I think that Watford game helped that the the goal difference. It was really good for them to 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 get it down from I think it was twelve or thirteen, you know, whatever it was to to even claw a little bit back. So it'd be yeah. nice if we if we did something similar. But I'm not going to be that presumptuous. I'll take a a scrappy one nil off Aguero's arse in the ninety third minute against yeah. Watford all day long. Um, okay, let's talk about City Watford. Uh, I wrote in the agenda. Uh, excuse my language. Um, what the fuck are Watford? Um, <laughs> Jordan, do you want to try and explain to me what kind of team they are? Because I they're, they're the most um, opaque team in the Premier League as far as I'm concerned. I don't really know anything about Javi Grazia. I don't really know how they've ended up where they've ended up in the league. Um, they seem to do well against certain sides, but then seem to do really badly against the top six. Talk to me about Watford. Yeah, they, they are really strange. Um, I can't quite put my th- finger on on what they are. What I do know is that they have some some really good players, really technically gifted players in Roberto Pereira um, or Pereira, sorry. Um, and also, they've, they've got a really nice balance to their team. I think their midfield two of Etienne Capu and uh, Abdullah Decore is really, really strong. I, I think. Both players are physical and uh, really will put a foot in and make the game difficult for the opposition. But they also have the technical ability and intelligence to punish teams, which, you know, two defensive midfielders being able to do that it is should be a concern for any side. They, they arrive late in the box. That I think Sky did a segment where they, they watched how they play. They're like, they're like an old-fashioned midfield too, where one goes forward, the other one sits, and, you know, mm. vice versa. Um Troy Deeney is, is a decent footballer. You know, Dilofu's in some fantastic form at the moment. Um, with that said, they do strike me as a bit of a flimsy side. At, like, they, they lost 5-0 to Liverpool, was it? Or was it 5-1? 5-0? 5-0, I think. 5-0. 5-0. Um, they are a bit like Bournemouth in that sense that they are capable of getting turned over. But with that in mind, you know, Javi Grassi has just done a fantastic job there because I remember at the start of the season, I spoke to, um, to Lloyd on the phone and he was doing his Guardian or observer column and we were speaking about which manager was going to get sats first and I'm not trying to shame Lloyd here although he won't thank me for it but he he wrote down Javi Gracia and I, I'm not gonna lie I said to him that's a great shot I completely forgot mm. about him just because of the high turnover of managers at Watford you know it, it's it was bizarre the way that they went through managers I can't even remember the names of them because they happened so quickly um they had Mazzari didn't they um Pellegrino Pelle- like- yeah, Maurizio Pellegrino was that was the yeah, yeah. I think so was he there I thought he was Southampton oh sorry no that was Southampton my bad yeah no. but but still they've had so look they, they all sort of merge into one so for him to to come in and unexpectedly as well you know you, you look at his demeanour um, he just sort of seemed like a bit of a yes man very quiet getting a line from him at a press conference is an absolute nightmare but <laughs> but what he's done it shouldn't be shouldn't be understated because it, he's done a really good job there I think they're eighth in the league They've won four of their last five and they, they play good football as well, which is is always nice to see. Um, I think the fans are well entertained and I don't think anyone really saw this season coming from them. Ah. Mm, do you think that because they try and play football in the right way, um, do you think that actually that's going to suit City? Yeah, but we said that about Bournemouth, didn't we? You just don't really know how teams are going to set up when, they, when it comes to facing City. Um, good shout. I also think that the way City are setting up at the moment with 
opting to play Bernardo at right wing, although I think that may change with De Bruyne's injury and uh, mm. Sterling on the left. I don't think City are really set up to play as best as they can against a team who will play more of a high line. You know, I think when, when you play teams with a high line, you want Sané in there and you want Sterling yep. on either side and you want even Jesus, although I'm not sure whether Aguero is in need of a rest. He, he's looked like it. But, you know, you want that sort of electric interplay between the front three and City are a bit more patient at the moment with Gundogan and David Silva and Bernardo more dictating the tempo of play. Um, it's an interesting one. I think they will adapt. I think it'd be stupid not to. Um, but hopefully they do, they do stick to their principles and try and play a bit. Ultimately at home, I, don't, I, don't, I think City should comfortably win. But then again, you look at the games that City have lost this season, Crystal Palace and Leicester and Newcastle, and you think, well, these lot are just as good as them. So that City have to be on the game. Yeah, I mean, I just think that I think that it's something that when, if you look at the games that we lost, we just shouldn't have lost them. And it makes trying to predict what game we will lose very, very, very difficult. Mm. But what I would say is that with with a nine game running, with the um, title now back in our hands after three months, if you look at the celebrations from Guardiola and the coaching team at the full-time whistle against Bournemouth, I don't think there'll be a percent of complacency in the side tomorrow. And if they play at their level, I expect them to beat Watford, no matter how well Watford play. Mm. Um, my, mate's a, my mate's a Watford fan, so I've asked him for a rundown on the side in a paragraph. Did I just say Marco Silva was the previous manager? That's it. But sorry, uh, Sanchez Flores. You can have Sanchez it. Flores, yeah. Billy McKill- McKinley must have been, yeah, caretaker. Was, yeah, Zola. Sean Dyche was there. Wow. Brendan Rodgers. <laughs> Malky Mackay, A.D. Boothroyd. How far names. back are we going here, Howard? I know. Yeah, now, Howard, back to Graham, open there, mate. <laughs> Gianluca Vialli and Graham Taylor now, so. <laughs> Glenn Roder. <laughs> Uh, yeah, basically, I'll, I'll just say verbatim what he said. He said, uh, Grazia has got the Watford players believing and playing with enjoyment and desire. And this starts from the training pitch where team spirit is at an all-time high. Tactically, he could improve during matches when needed to respond when things aren't working. But he keeps things organised with, at times, excellent counter-attacking football. So will there be a low block? Players tend to down tools against a bigger club still, but there are signs Grazia is working on this. Expect a physical high press and players not sitting back. Though an early goal conceded, we reverse all of that. So, interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, 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 as I say, I don't think that we can focus too much on the opposition now with the running as it is. I think you've just got to look at yourself and go right. We need to be just on our game yeah. in every Premier League game that we play, and if we are, then we should get over the line. Um, a question for both of you. We'll start with you, Jordan. This bit, we've kind of played games relentlessly, feels like, over the last few weeks. Um, and it kind of felt good in a way because we were winning and it felt like that generated momentum and the mentality. that there, there seemed like a steely uber focus in the side. And now suddenly we've had a week off. Um, and I know that the players got given a couple of days off to basically go where they wanted to. Um, is it possible that can have a negative effect somehow? Because I am I guess I look at the Liverpool's two extended breaks in the Son and, and how terribly they did when they came back from those breaks. And suddenly I go, hmm, maybe it's not such a bad thing to keep playing games. What do you think? 
Yeah, so sometimes it can. Sometimes it can have a negative effect. But I think given how City were were finishing, you know, the, the last few games, you know, 120 minutes and penalties against Chelsea, tough, well, a one nil, two one nil wins, um, hard fought. And I think whilst that mentality will stay, I think the players just needed some time off. You know, injuries before coming left, right and centre with Laporte, De Bruyne, Fernandinho, Aguero's playing every game at the moment with Jesus injured. Stones has just picked up an injury as well. I think that, that we can only really see the break as a good thing for the players because they look like they've needed it. You know, it, it can come back to, to bite City, but... Look, we, we complain so much about how many games City have to play and how they've not had a break all season. I'm just glad that they've got one um, and hopefully it'll sort of reinvigorate them and prepare them for what's going to be a very challenging last couple of months. Yeah, fair shout, fair shout. I know that Laporte is back training today, apparently. Um, De Bruyne isn't, I don't know about Stones. Um Okay, Howard, I mean, it's kind of the same every week when we preview these City games. As I say, I think right now we just need to focus on ourselves. Um, So just to kind of wrap this up, just looking at it from a selection point of view, I mean, again, it's not, I don't want you to necessarily try and predict what Pep's going to do, but if you kind of look through the side and look through the fitness issues, does the team pick itself or are there still positions where you feel there are relatively big decisions to make? Oh, uh, no, there's, well, firstly, I don't think Laporte won't be fit to start. So, no, I think it pretty much, with De Bruyne out, as, as John said, Bernardo Silva surely back into the middle. It picks itself. Uh, Fernandinho, still out of us. Uh, yes. Yep. So, Gundogan, that picks itself. I think Zinchenko has to pick itself. Because, mm-hmm. well, we don't know Mendy's fitness, do we? But... I really can't expect him to be. Yeah, just assume not fit. Yeah, uh, you know the right back does, and the set, with Laporte out, the centre defence does as well. So yeah, if, if we assume, I assume, I mean Jesus could start, so you could have that debate. But I expect Aguero to start again with that week off, and it's you know keep keep it going him in the team and Sane and Sterling. Well, that's the, Sterling surely starts. The only other debate is about Sane, but. What's the alternatives? I think he'll start Mares. Me too. Yeah. I think I, I think he'll, he'll, yeah. he'll try and get him a bit. You know, it's a good reason to play him with Bernardo moving central. Um, you don't lose that much because that Mares and Bernardo, okay, that they're different players, but in terms of what they bring, a bit more control on the wing, both cutting in on the left, um, and I think you, he'll want to. Pep will want to build upon Mares's confidence in getting that yeah. goal. You know, it's a scuffed goal, but it, it was exactly what he needed. Um, a big goal for City and I think it's it's a it should really be a game where Mares is playing although Sané is one of my favourite players and I think he should be playing every game it's a tough one but I, I do think Pep will go with Mares and keep Sterling on the left and you know Sterling and Zinchenko have been working quite well together so I don't think he'll tinker too much of it I think also um, we play Schalke on Tuesday I would be absolutely devoured if Leroy does not get a start at home against his old club yeah. Um Question for both of you, actually, because I think the big selection issue is in the number nine position because Aguero's played a lot of football and we got a game on Saturday and a game on Tuesday. Does he start both of those games considering the importance of both of those games or do you rest him for one? And if 
So, which game would you rest him for? Jordan, I'll start with you. It's tough because Jesus has been out injured and I can't actually remember the last time Jesus played. Um, that's probably saying how much I've been working recently because my memory doesn't go back more than two weeks. But I think with the week half, I think Aguero still starts against Watford and Pep does his typical thing of taking him off after 60 minutes, providing things are going well uh, for Jesus for the last half hour and then starts again on Tuesday. In terms of the importance of both um, and which one I'd rather see Aguero rested for, I think I'd probably say start Jesus in the Champions League and start Aguero at home to Watford. Aguero's just got such a phenomenal record at home. You always want to see him leading the line um, at home, particularly. And I think Jesus could, could definitely do a job against Schalke. And it's not really a game where City are desperate to score loads of goals. Of course, you want to score as many goals as possible, but just playing it up in my mind in terms of which one you'd rather have the goal scorer in from the start from. City already have a lead to take into that Schalke game and probably will score regardless of Aguero being on the pitch as Schalke have no choice but to attack City. Mm. Jesus I does have a Champions League hat-trick this season. He does, yeah. Shakhtar, wasn't it? So, yeah, he's done all right there. I think he's the one that starts the Champions League. I mean, yeah. We I do think Aguero Schal- start both. Oh, well, we do have a lead going into the home against Schalke. So I think I think for Pep, his, his focus will be on Watford. You know, just as more than Schalke in a way. Watford's the more important. I mean, obviously, you can still mess it up. We've seen what's happened this week in Europe. Let's not go into the Schalke game thinking we're already in the draw for the next round. But, you know, I don't think it... We're not, we're not really weakening ourselves by putting Jesus in for Tuesday's match. So I think that's mm. the match he'd start in, yeah. Mm. See, it's interesting. I kind of disagree with both of you. I feel like if you look at the... Um, I don't want to say the Champions League is more important than the Premier League, but I imagine that Guardiola will look at it and he will think, Tuesday is a knockout tie and I want my best team for the knockout tie. Um, there's nine games left in the league. Granted, we can't really take any risks in the league either, but if you're going to take risk, then you'll take the risk at home against Watford on Saturday and make sure that Aguero is fresh to fire you into the the quarterfinals of the Champions League on Tuesday night. And actually, I think the results in the week just gone will feed into that as well. I think he will look at that and he will be using that to, to motivate the team on Tuesday to make sure that they're on it, but also himself. I think that that will be, those results will be all the motivation he needs to go, right, if if there's any type of question mark about whether Aguero's, you know, whether he can do 90 on Saturday and 90 on Tuesday, bearing in mind, again, it's a Saturday late kickoff and then Tuesday. Yeah, I can see Jesus stepping in against Watford and uh, uh, Aguero playing against Schalke. Uh, right, gentlemen. Uh, it's been an epic Friday show, so I just want to wrap up with a score prediction for the Watford game. Mr. Harkin, what score do you think that game will finish? Uh, 3-1. Ah, you took the exact result that I was going to take, so okay. Well, you can have it as well. So. No, no, I'm going to have a slightly different one. Jordan? Uh, I'll go for 3-0 because of City's clean sheet. It's three clean sheets in the past three games, isn't it? So Indeed. We'll go for, go for another clean sheet, 3-0. Okay, I'm going to go with 2-0 and the clean sheet and a raft of substitutions on 60 to 70 minutes because the game feels comfortable. Um, right. Okay. That was the Friday show. Jordan, thank you very much. No problem. Thanks for having me. Howard, thank you very much. Pleasure as always. 
To everybody who listened, thank you very much. As always, be safe, be well. We'll be back with a review of the Bournemouth game after the weekend. Yeah, up the blues. <laughs>